Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening to to gather together um, to hear your word taught. We pray that you would um, open our our eyes and our ears to to understand what your word is saying, that we would um, put our trust in Christ alone, and that we would um, put our trust in no one else, Lord. For you um, are the one who rules over the nations of the earth. You are the judge of the world. And you will judge the world in righteousness through your Son, whom you've appointed heir of all things, and you've furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Lord, please grant that all of us would have this faith and that we would live appropriately, live accordingly in, in, this, in this present life, in this wicked generation, that we would live as aliens and strangers, as pilgrims in the earth, looking for the heavenly city and not for the city of man. Um, Lord, help us to know these things and believe them and that you would fill our hearts with um, the hope of eternal life, comfort of your Holy Spirit, um, and that we would be assured of the righteousness of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Habakkuk 2, uh, 9 through 11. This is the passage that we will be in tonight. Uh, just as a reminder for the, the context of the book of Habakkuk, it's a minor prophet. He is the, the one who gave us um, many great texts in this passage, like Habakkuk 2.4, The Righteous Shall Live by Faith. And how the, the book begins is Habakkuk crying out to God for help, crying out to God, asking why he's so far away from judging the wickedness in the nation, the nation of Judah. And then God gives his judgment that, um, is so astonishing that those, even those people who would hear the judgment, they would not even believe it because of how amazing and terrible the vision is that God would bring a wicked nation, the nation of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, um, to judge and destroy his people, destroy the kingdom of Judah and bring them into exile, though not totally because of his purposes. And so we see that continuing in Habakkuk chapter 2, after Habakkuk asks why why is this the case? Why is he using a wicked nation? What is going to happen? God gives the answer that he's going to judge the Babylonians for their wickedness. He's not uh, winking at their center or putting it under the rug. Um, he is actually going to use them to judge Judah, but he will judge them himself. And it even looks ahead to Christ, Christ who came in the flesh and Christ who will come again to judge the wicked and the living, the, the dead and the alive. Um, so for some historical context and what's going on in the, this time of the world, uh, let's turn to Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel, we see um, many prophecies of nations. And in Daniel chapter 2, we have uh, the dream that was given to Nebuchadnezzar, the one who destroyed the kingdom of Judah, the king of Babylon. He was given a dream and he asked the magicians and the wise men to to interpret the dream, but he asked them to give the dream first, and they could not because they did not have the Holy Spirit within them. And it was God's purpose to humble Nebuchadnezzar, to exalt Daniel, and to give us assurance of his purposes in the world. And so we see in Daniel 2, 
uh, verse 36, after Daniel recounts the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says this, and Daniel 2.36. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong, and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. So this is Daniel's interpretation of the dream, God's interpretation of the dream that he gave to Nebuchadnezzar. And we see that God is the one who made Nebuchadnezzar the king of all the nations of the earth at this time. He was the head of gold in that statue, the statue with the head of gold. And so we see that he has, uh, wherever the sons of men dwell, the beasts of the field or birds of the sky, God has given them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, and he is the ruler over them all. Which should remind us of Genesis 1 and even Psalm 8, that God gave um, man, mankind, to rule over the fish of the sea, but because of the fall, God is the one who's placing the rulership over different, different wicked kings with the ultimate purpose that it would be the Son of Man, Christ himself, who would actually rule over all nations, all kingdoms, and all creatures. But after the king of gold, after the head of gold, you have the the chest and arm of silver, and the belly and, and legs of bronze, which are the kingdoms of Persia and the kingdoms of Greece, um, through uh, Alexander the Great, who came in to conquer many nations and rule the world. And then the kingdom of iron is the kingdom of Rome, that we see ruling up until the time of Christ. And then, of course, Christ comes in the flesh, and he inherits the heaven, the, all authority in heaven and on earth. And he is the one who rules uh, the whole world and will rule completely in the last day, and his kingdom will never come to an end. But these, and we see also, by the way, in Daniel 8, 20 through 22, that that is uh, the proof that these are the kingdoms of Persia and Greece. Uh, that's Daniel 8, 20 through 22. But we see here that God is the one who is placing these kingdoms in the world. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who causes kingdoms to rule. And we look, since we're in Daniel, let's go to Daniel 5, 1 through 4, and we'll see the wickedness of, of the nation of, of Babylon and why Habakkuk pronounces this woe upon them in our, in our passage. Daniel 5, 1 says, Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. 
Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So you see that they, Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem and took all of the valuable uh, things from the temple, the things that God had commanded Moses and Solomon to make for the temple for his own glory. And yet they um, stole them, they took them, and now they are feasting with them, praising uh, the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone in their own pleasures. And in, in verse 23 of chapter 5, Daniel confronts uh, Belshazzar, who was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He says, But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways, you have not glorified. This shows the wickedness of what um, Babylon had done. Uh, just like Assyria in Isaiah chapter 10, who um, destroyed the kingdom of Israel and also brought judgment on Judah as well, it was God's will that Assyria would do that. And it's the same with Babylon. It was God's will that they would do this, but it was not in any virtue of the kingdom of Babylon that God used them. There was no desire in the in King Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or anyone to, um, in order to do God's will or to do what is right before the Lord. Their purpose was simply to get evil gain for their house, to glorify themselves and to increase their pleasure. And so we must learn from, from Joseph in Genesis 50 where he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And this is exactly the case with um, Babylon and the destruction of, of Jerusalem. God meant it for good. He He's the one who judged uh, the nation of Judah for his glory. He's the one who brought Nebuchadnezzar and the, the, the siege and the war machines to the steps of Jerusalem. But it was also Nebuchadnezzar who did it. But it was from no goodwill in Nebuchadnezzar. He only delighted in destroying nations, but God in glorifying himself. And if we turn to Jeremiah 52, we'll see some of the wickedness of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, after he um, puts a siege in Jerusalem in Jeremiah 52, Nebuchadnezzar then shows his, his um, just desire to punish the people, um, but for his own glory in uh, verse 10, Jeremiah 52, 10. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he also slaughtered all the princes of Judah and Riblah. Then he blinded the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon and put him in prison until the day of his death. And in the rest of the passage, it shows that what they did is they brought all of the gold and silver things from the temple of the Lord in order to bring it to their own temple and praise their own gods. So this is the... The background, this is what's going to happen. This is what Habakkuk is looking for. And this is what he's prophesying about. And then God is telling him that he's going to judge Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar for these things. So let's return to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 9. And we see what he, what he does to pronounce judgment upon these wicked kingdoms. Habakkuk 2, 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. We see many woes that are pronounced throughout Scripture. The, um, the prophets in the Old Testament pronounce many woes against wicked kingdoms. Isaiah pronounces a woe upon himself when he sees the Lord of hosts 
in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Woe is me. Christ pronounces woes against the unbelievers in his day, against the, the Pharisees and the other Jews and other people who do not believe in him. And we also see in Revelation that angels are pronouncing woes upon the people of the earth for many reasons and because of the judgments of God and that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion. And so we see this woe, and it's what is the woe for? It's woe to him who gets an evil gain for his house, who gets evil gain for his house. This is the sin that is brought to the surface. There is always a woe for the wicked. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. But here the specific sin that is brought up is evil gain for the house. Evil gain is a sin characterizing all mankind, and we see this in our own day. But it goes all the way back to Genesis 3. What was the sin of Adam and Eve but seeking evil gain for themselves, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Eve saw that the the fruit was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and profitable to make her wise. And so she took and ate of the fruit. It was an evil gain, seeking to um, provide her for herself her own wisdom instead of uh, trusting in the wisdom and the word of God. She saw evil gain for herself instead of the gain and the reward of, of God the reward of the tree of life. Jeremiah 6.13 says, Everyone is greedy for gain. First Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And in Matthew 6, Christ himself, our Lord himself says, You cannot serve both God and wealth. But this is a sin that is common to all men. We see this throughout history, do we not? That all the kings in the earth, that they, they gain much for their house, they gain many um, pleasures and much gold and, and silver, uh, for themselves, and most of the time it is evil gain. It's not gain by by uh, legitimate businesses or anything like that, but it is gain from uh, evil means, evil methods of, of plundering others. And this is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had done. But God is pronouncing a woe. In, our, in the midst of it, it seems like they will never fail. But here, God pronounces a woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, who puts his nest on high. Psalm 127, Psalm 127 verse 1 shows us that no matter what we do in this life, if it is not the Lord who uh, builds us up, then it is all for nothing and meaningless. Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. If the Lord does not build the house, then even this evil gain and putting their nest on high, it will profit them nothing. It is vain, because the Lord is the one who guards the city. It's the Lord. The Lord is the one who judges all mankind. And turn over to Proverbs chapter fourteen. We see this again. That this is there are many passages in Proverbs speaking of this. But we'll look at two. Proverbs fourteen, eleven through twelve. Proverbs fourteen, eleven. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The house of the wicked, especially when he builds it by evil gain, it seems right to him in the time, but the end of it is death. Because he will be destroyed, as we see in Psalm 1, that the, the wicked are like chaff, which the wind drives away. But it's the righteous who will flourish, uh, even though they might dwell in holes in the ground. 
And then Proverbs chapter 15, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 6. He says, Great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is in the income of the wicked. Even if the wicked have great income, there is trouble with every single gold coin that he achieves, that he obtains. Every single uh, bit of, of, of wealth that the wicked um, gather to themselves is only increasing their judgment in the future. But there is great wealth in the house of the righteous, unending wealth, wealth that moth and rust cannot destroy, that will not turn into dust. Um, and it is the wealth of Christ and eternal life in the new heavens and new earth. So this is the woe that God pronounces on those who gain evil, uh, evil things for their house. And why do, why do people seek evil gain for their house? To put their nest on high and to be delivered from the hand of calamity. So we see um, here that their, their goal is to be put on high, to, to make themselves safe and secure. And that's what they think they're doing with um, getting this evil gain. And we see this also throughout Scripture and throughout um, many examples in history, that they think that they are lofty and exalted. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar thought himself this way. But then God humbled him and made him um, walk like a beast and eat, eating grass. Um, we see uh, in Psalm 73, Psalm 73, 10-14, that the one who is uh, the righteous man, seeing the wicked um, prospering in this life, it's tempting to think that God is prospering them and approving of them and will not uh, judge them and will not uh, vindicate us. He says in Psalm 73, 10, Therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, How does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. The wicked are, are in their nest on high, and they say, How does God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? Surely God doesn't know that they have gotten this evil gain for themselves, that they've put their nest on high. They, no, one can, no, can, no one can reach the eagle that is high up in the nest. No one can and understand his path. So surely that they are safe. That is what the wicked think. And it's tempting for the righteous to think the same as well. But we see that this is not the case. God will bring them down. Uh, turn to Jeremiah 49. Even, even those who set themselves on high, um, there is no one that is higher than the Lord. No one can reach up to the heights of heaven. Um, no one can put himself um, at ease against the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah 49, verse 13. Uh, this is a prophecy against Edom that Jeremiah gives. Um, Jer uh, Jeremiah 49, 13. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra will become an object of horror, a reproach, a ruin, and a curse. And all its cities will become perpetual ruins. I have heard a message from the Lord, and an envoy is sent among the nations, saying, Gather yourselves together, and come against her, and rise up for battle. For behold, I have made you small among the nations, despised among men. As for the terror of you, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you. O you who live in the clefts of the rock, who occupy the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as an eagle's, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Edom will become an object of horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss at all its wounds. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, says the Lord, no one will live there, nor will a son of man reside in it. 
So Edom makes its nest, it deceives itself. The nation deceived them themselves, the people in it, that they are arrogant. They, they live in the cleft of the rock, right? A rock is a, is a fortress. They, they uh, occupy the height of a hill, a stronghold in battle. And they have made their nest as high as an eagle's, one, a place where no man can reach uh, without great effort. But God says, I will bring you down from there and you will become an object of horror and everyone who passes by them will hiss at their wounds. And Obadiah makes the same judgment on Edom in Obadiah 1 4 that there is no there is no place that we can hide from God. Obadiah 1 verse 4. Uh, we'll start in verse 3. He says the same thing, a prophecy against Edom. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Even if the nation of Edom was to set themselves and put their nest amongst the stars themselves, even there, God will bring them down. And we see this in our own day. People wanting to set their, they put their hope in the stars. They try to colonize Mars and other things. There is no hope to, to put ourselves in this high place and deceive ourselves with our arrogance. God will bring uh, the wicked down. This, this uh, idea, this, this uh, mentality, this wickedness of man is nothing new. It is as old as Genesis 3, we know, but the, the beginning of, the, of nations um, exalting themselves uh, starts with the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Let's turn to Genesis 11, and we'll see that this is the paradigm that God has given for the whole, the whole earth. For, throughout all history, it goes back to the Tower of, of Babel. So in Genesis 11, this is after the flood, about a hundred or so years after the flood, um, Noah and his children, they are, or his children are increasing and um, uh, multiplying and spreading throughout the earth. And then in Genesis 11, we see this. 11.1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there, and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So this time there was one language, and the people were united. And instead of uniting themselves under the banner of God and the banner of Christ, looking for the seed of the woman to come, and the rest that was promised to Noah, Instead, in verse 3, they say to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. 
and and then verse four, come, let us let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. This tower reaching the top, reaching um, into heaven, is the same thing as building a nest on high, like Edom, building a nest in the stars. And we see this that this tower of Babel is the temple of man. It's the city of man. It's the worship of man, the, the wisdom of man. It is satanic and, and wicked and ungodly. And that is why God, in his purposes, he separated them and made them uh, many languages and many different nations and peoples and confused them. Not that they could um, overthrow God, but that they would accomplish their task of, of uniting and destroying the people of God and destroying the, the true worship and religion of God. And this, this building an, a nest on high, reaching into heaven, this is um, the paradigm for the whole world. This is what all mankind is doing, building cities and uh, worship for themselves instead of um, trusting in the one who descended from heaven, Christ himself. They are trusting in their own works to reach into heaven and making for themselves a name so that they will not be scattered. Um, but this calamity will come to them. God confused their language. It's called Babel. If you look up that word Babel, it's the same word for Babylon. There should be a note. There's probably a note in your Bibles that says that. It's the same word for Babylon. And this is the area of the world where Babylon uh, as a nation came to be. Um, this is a paradigm for, for everything. We see in Daniel that the kingdoms that are passing from nation to nation, the kingdom of man passing from one nation to the next, it started here in Babel. And it's all according um, to God's purposes. They, God is building his city, the city of God, um, based upon Christ. And the city of God is his people. But man is building the city of man. And we see that in, in Greece, in Persia, Babylon. And we see, also see it in Egypt. But it all begins here uh, with Babel. <clears throat> um, and so we see that it's this is God's purposes, though. He... He confounds their language and confuses them. But the very next chapter in Genesis, we see that God's promises to Abraham that in him shall all the nations of the earth, earth be blessed. And Revelation 5 as well, that God has made Christ um, the ruler of all things and that he redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from all tongues. God confused the tongues and made many languages so that he could unite them again in Christ for his people and this, these are his purposes. If you turn to Psalm 33, we can see that it's God's purposes in the world that stand, not the, the purposes of the nations. Those who built the Tower of Babel and those who follow them and, um, since then, trying to build the city of man, they will not stand, but God's purposes will stand. Psalm 33, uh, verse 10. He says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven, he sees the sons of men. From his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army, a warrior is not delivered by great strength, a horse is a false hope for victory nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. God is the one 
whose purposes stand, his counsel stands. The counsel of the nations, they will not stand. They, they plan things, they desire to do things, but God nullifies them. He frustrates their plans, but his plans endure forever. And from generation to generation, and his plans are for the, the good of his people, his nation, the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance, because um, their, their Lord, their King, is Christ himself, God himself. And he looks from heaven, he sees all their, all their doings, but he's the one who fashioned their heart. They cannot say, does God know? Of course God knows. God is the one who fashioned their very heart. He sees um, what they do. He sees the works of their hands. He gave them life, breath, and all things. And so to trust in anything else is uh, foolishness and wisdom. There is no uh, safety from calamity when we're dealing with the Lord himself who made us. Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40 verse 12 uh, shows us this, that there is no one like the Lord. Isaiah 40 verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? and marked off the heavens by the span, and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or who has or who, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Can anyone hold the waters of the earth in his hand? Can anyone uh, measure the heavens by his own span or calculate the dust of the earth or weigh the, the mountains? Can anyone direct God and, in, and inform him and give him wisdom and justice and, and teach him these things? No, none of these can happen. God is the one who teaches nations. God is the one who brings up nations and brings them down. He raises up Pharaoh so that his power can be demonstrated in Pharaoh. Um, none of these things are, are anything before God. The nations are as nothing before him. They're regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Not even a drop in a bucket are the nations before the Lord. And this is what Habakkuk is showing us, that this woe upon Nebuchadnezzar and any nation and any people who seek um, to disobey the Lord, they put their nest on high to try to be delivered from calamity, but God will bring calamity on them. In Jeremiah 50, uh, there's, there's many things that could be said from Jeremiah 50 to 52 but we'll look at just one short passage in Jeremiah 50 that God indeed will judge um, the kingdom of Babylon for these things. Though he put his nest on high to try to save himself from calamity, God will bring him down from his nest. Jeremiah 50 verse 41. This is the Jeremiah's um, pronouncement of judgment upon Babylon. Jeremiah 50 41. Behold, a people is coming from the north, and a great nation and many kings will be aroused from the remote parts of the earth, they seize their bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses, marshaled like a man for the battle. Against you, O daughter of Babylon, the king of Babylon has heard the report about them, and his hands hang limp. Distress has gripped him, agony like a woman in childbirth. 
Behold, one will come up like a lion from the thicket of the Jordan to a perennially watered pasture. For in an instant I will make them run away from it, and whoever is chosen I will appoint over it. For who is like me, and who will summon me into court? And who then is the shepherd who can stand before me? Therefore hear the plan of the Lord which he has planned against Babylon, and his purposes which he has purposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely they will drag them off, even the little ones of the flock. Surely he will make their pasture desolate because of them. At the shout, Babylon has been seized, the earth is shaken, and an outcry is heard among the nations. This is the woe that God is pronouncing upon Babylon, upon Nebuchadnezzar and those who follow him in the same folly, even to our day. Habakkuk 2.10 says, You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. This indeed is the folly of man that he calls good evil and he calls evil good. He glories in his own shame, but his end is only destruction, as it says in Philippians 3.19. And we saw in, in Daniel 4 that Nebuchadnezzar was glorifying, glorifying himself and glorying in his own shame. He got all of this evil gain for himself by uh, punishing nations and destroying nations. And then he says, look at this kingdom that I have built. But God is the one who gave it to him. He's the one, as we saw earlier, that he's the one who, who put him and appointed him as ruler over the kings of the earth. God is the one who gave him this kingdom, not himself. Um, but this is what, uh, this shameful thing, this is what Nebuchadnezzar has done for his house. He cut off many peoples. There is no virtue in what he did by cutting off all of these nations and destroying them and taking their false gods or even the, the vessels of gold from the true God and the temple of the true God. There was no virtue in those things, um, but it was a shameful thing for him to do this. And what is the result? The result is he was sinning against himself. Let's turn to Jeremiah 27, verses 5 through 8. Jeremiah 27, verse 5. God, the Lord of hosts, says this, I have made the earth the men and the beasts which are on the face of the earth by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. So there, God is the one who gave power to Nebuchadnezzar, because it was by his own power that he made the whole earth. God is the one is the maker of heaven and earth. He made all the beasts of the field, the nations of the earth. He's the one who did this. He's the one who confused the languages of Babel. He's the one who put Nebuchadnezzar as king of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar as God's servant, as it says in verse 6, Now I've given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. That means Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant, doing whatever God bids him to do. And he has given um, him all of these nations to serve him. But then in verse 7, All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him, that is Nebuchadnezzar, their servant. Just as God raised Nebuchadnezzar up, he will put Nebuchadnezzar down. He will he raised up Babylon and then he put it down through the kingdoms of the Medes and the Persians and everyone after that. 
so it was a shameful thing that he he got all this evil gain for himself by cutting off these peoples because God would judge him for that. He says, so you are sinning against yourself. Uh, since we're in Jeremiah, turn to chapter 26, 19. This is this concept of sinning against himself. We see uh, many places throughout scripture. But first, let's look at 26, 19. Um, when Jeremiah pronounces judgment, um, uh, sorry, 26, 16. Jeremiah 26, 16. Jeremiah pronounces judgment upon the city. The people want to put him to death. And then he sh tells them that if they put him to death, that they are um, bringing innocent blood upon themselves. So they say this in 26, 16. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and to the prophets, No death sentence for this man, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then some of the elders of the of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And he spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus the Lord of hosts has said, Zion will be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem will become ruins, and the mountain of the house as the high places of a forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And the Lord changed his mind about the misfortune which he had pronounced against them, but we are committing a great evil against ourselves. If they were to put Jeremiah to death, they would be sinning against themselves because they were only going to be bringing innocent blood on them, and God was going to judge them, and ultimately God would judge the whole nation. And this is what happens every time we sin. We sin against ourselves. We know in 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul is uh, rebuking them for immorality, he says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, Flee immorality, every other sin that a man uh, commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And in Proverbs 8, who is um, Christ himself speaking as the wisdom of God in 8.36, he says, But he who sins against me, that is Christ, injures himself. All those who hate me love death. So this is true of all people at all times. And we see this with Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. They were sinning against themselves by getting this evil gain, by doing these wicked things. Uh, Habakkuk 2.11, he says, Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. All of these stones that Nebuchadnezzar built up for his own temple and his own house and his own glory, with the rafters and all of the, the glorious things that he built, they will cry out from the wall themselves, and they'll answer it from the frame, and the, the wood, the rafter, will answer back. And he, they will be witnesses of this evil game. They will be witnesses of the terror that Babylon did. They will be witnesses of the wickedness and the pride and the arrogance um, that God will judge them for. Um, we have examples of, of God using creation um, to judge and be witnesses against us. Uh, if we look in Israel's history, Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, verse 19 God calls all of heaven and earth and all that are in them, including the angels and everyone, to be witnesses against his people. Um, this is uh, the end of Moses' life. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Um, and then also in Joshua, continuing in Israel's history, after they um, conquer the land, in Joshua 24, 24-27, Joshua sets up a stone 
in order to be a witness against them that they will not serve the Lord their God. Joshua 24, 27. He says this, Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. He says a stone is a witness against them, because the stone heard all the words. If all the people rebelled and, and turned away and denied their God, then God would cause the stones themselves to repeat the words that which he spoke to them and say, you have no excuse for the sins that you have done because he, he spoke them to them. He presented life and death to them. And he would use the very stones themselves as witnesses against his people for, for denying them. Um, and then in the New Testament, we see another example with Christ himself in Luke chapter 19, um, that God will use creation itself to testify that Christ is his chosen one, the one who rules over uh, heaven and earth, who deserves all uh, glory and praise. Um, and even, even the children were praising him. Uh, Luke 19, verse 38. Uh, we'll start in verse 37. Luke 19, 37. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. If the people are silent and do not praise um, God and their Holy One, the Holy One of God, Christ Himself, then Jesus says the very stones, creation itself, will cry out and praise uh, God for um, the work that He is doing in Christ. And this is exactly what we see in Habakkuk, that the stones and the rafters, the, the, the creation itself, will, will be a witness. If no one else witnesses, then, then um, creation itself will witness. If there are no witnesses to the treachery of the wicked, and this is the same thing with the folly of Cain, who thought his brother could not rise up against him uh, to present him to the bar of God, then the very stones and rafters who were witnesses of their ill-gotten gain They'll cry out as witnesses against them. Can men hide from God who made their hearts? Behold, Abel's blood cries out to God for vengeance. The judge of all the earth does not slumber, nor does he sleep, nor is he ignorant. He sees all, and his eyelids test the sons of men. Yet he needs no eyes to see. He hears all the words within the secret heart of man, though he needs no ears to hear. He knows all of the thoughts in the mind of each son of Adam, and he is the one who breathed the soul into each one. God needs no witness to tell him, no messenger or runner to swiftly bring him news. Is it not absurd to us that stones, wood, donkeys, um, like the Balaam's donkey, blood and dust should speak? Yet God formed life from the dust and breathed life uh, into it life. No one informs God, but God forms all things. You think that no one sees, but God will cause stones and dead trees to cry out and speak the judgment of God that all men are liars, and his Christ has inherited a name above every name. This coming one, this Christ, who came and took on flesh, is also coming again, and he is the one that all creation in heaven, on earth, and under the earth testifies, that he is the firstborn of all creation, and ruler of heaven and earth, and this is the one that the Babylonians and the rulers of Judah and the people in the time of Christ have rejected. 
They rejected the coming one, Habakkuk 2.3. And so God will reject them and pronounce woes upon them. God sees their evil gain. They have sinned against themselves. And Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans also sinned against themselves. And they are now uh, under the earth in Sheol, um, testifying that Christ, who died and was raised again, um, he is the one who descended to them and declared triumph and victory over them and victory over Satan and their false gods. They are now testifying that Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He has the everlasting kingdom and he has the keys to death and Hades. He was dead and is alive forevermore. Every antichrist and follower of Babylon since that time has suffered the same fate. And everyone who has done so since the time of Christ has also died. There is no one who has not died. Death waits for no man. Creation will testify against the wicked deeds of men. Angels are our witnesses. The purified spirits of the saints in heaven before us, who have gone before us, are also our witnesses. When any man dies, his soul is brought before Christ, the true and faithful witness, and his other witnesses, the saints. And they will cast judgment upon the soul who has put his trust in men, in princes, and money, and covetousness, and gold, and pleasure, in the idols and gods of this world. Christ will say to that man, Depart from me, I never knew you. And the angels will ask the Son of Man, What shall we do with this wretched soul? And Christ will respond, Throw him into the abyss, the outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where Satan and his demons belong. May the fear of Christ bring us to his feet to kiss the Son. May we kiss the Son, as it says in Psalm 2. May the love of Christ control us to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and gave himself for us. Christ swallowed death and hell for the sins of his people, so we must fall at his feet and worship him and devote ourselves wholly and completely to him by faith alone. If stones and, and wood and dead things will, will cry out and be witnesses for Christ, we must do the same. We are his people. We must worship him and be witnesses for him. And only God's free gift of grace can cause us to do this. Uh, may he grant us all uh, this grace forever. Uh, may the word of Christ richly dwell within us. Amen.